Welcome to the So You Wanna Be a Data Scientist podcast. Here we interview awesome data scientists and other data professionals. This show is part of the website So You Wanna Be a Data Scientist.com. After listening, take my free data science Kickstarter course to learn what it takes to become a data scientist. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to So You Want to Be a Data Scientist podcast. Today, I have Susan Walsh with me. She is the classification guru. Welcome, Susan. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Taking your, thank you for taking the time to be here. So you are the classification guru, and that's the, also the name of your company. Can you tell us a bit about what you do there? Yes. So um, I came up with the name because I had worked at a spend analytics company beforehand and all I did was classify for five years. And I felt like I was an expert at it. And I thought nobody else is going to tell me I'm an expert. Um, I have to tell other people. So that's where the name came from. And what I do for my clients is I generally work with a lot of procurement teams and I take their financial data, which can come from many different systems, and I classify it um, and normalize it. So first I normalize it. So things like IBM, i.b.m, IBM Inc, they'll all get normalized to IBM. And then I will then classify that data with a taxonomy, which either they will have already. So it could be something like the UNSPSC or E-class or uh, an internal taxonomy. Or what I'm finding more increasingly is that clients want me to build a customized taxonomy for their business. So it's specific to their needs, to their language, to how they work. And that taxonomy is normally about four levels. So you might have something like IT is level one, um, hardware is level two, uh, level three might be laptop, desktop, computer. Um, You might have accessories, you might have peripherals, and then within peripherals, you might have mouse, keyboard, docking station, headset. And I'll go through the data and I'll take the invoice line descriptions and I will classify the information. So what you'll find is that you'll either have really great descriptions like um, keyboard, mouse, pen, pencil, paper, or you'll have something like office supplies, which is really broad and vague. And I'll group all those um, descriptions together under the taxonomy categories so that when it's all classified, the supplier will be able to look at their data and say, okay, oh my goodness, we're spending... 200 million with IBM or we're not spending 200 million but we thought we were Um, and you know how many suppliers are we buying office supplies from we have 100 suppliers here well we only need two maybe three Um, let's negotiate some better rates so there's a whole lot of information that your data can tell you um, about what's going on within your business and who is buying things that they shouldn't be or who's buying things with the wrong supplier and a lot of organizations just don't have that that um, detail right now so I can help them get that nice so you're not only doing the cleaning of the data but it sounds to me like you're also creating some insights and deliver it to the businesses um sometimes not always I wouldn't class myself as as an analyst or 
a spend analytics analytics person. I my specialism is the classification. However, by classifying the data and going through it, I instinctively will pick up trends within the data that I can pass on to the clients. Yeah, and that's also what I keep saying to our audience too. Sometimes even the exploration and cleaning of the data is a very important part of the whole data science process because you learn so much about your data and the type of thing that you're working with. Yeah, the other thing is it's really important to work with your data regularly because then you become familiar with it. So when things are wrong or don't look right, they stick out straight away. That's awesome, though. Like It's crazy that you came up with this idea while you were working for somewhere else and you now you have your own business. It is because... Everyone was focusing on selling the analytics service and the software around it. And that's, you know, expensive and, you know, they charge a lot of money for that. But actually, like 80, 90 percent of the work behind it is the classification piece. You can't do any of the analytics without accurate data. But nobody was talking about that bit. It was almost like, you know, the don't talk about it, you know. Um, smoke and mirrors you know let's let's say the machine learning is doing it or it's automated but actually it's it's the majority of data classified is done by people somewhere in the world nobody was talking about it so I was like right well you know I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about it yeah and that's also it's it's such an underestimated part of data science also as you said also on my projects I was spending at least 50 percent of my time cleaning the data, trying to make sense of it, trying to understand how it actually, how everything actually works together and turning it into a you know, data set that I can actually use in my analysis. So that's extremely important. But as you said, no one is really talking about it. That's also very surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, because I hear people saying, well, you know, we've had data problems or I've been talking about data problems for 20, 30 years. Um, and I think it's because people focus on the wrong part of the problem. They focus on the output of the data, but actually they should be really focusing on the input. So we have to be more careful about the data that we input as well. So I um, just posted, I think it was yesterday, um, about um, I had a spelling of freight which looked nothing like freight, as in shipping costs. It was spelled F-R-G-G-H-G-T or something like that. I mean, someone had not even tried to spell it correctly. And there's lots of that going on um, with people who maybe don't care about what they're doing or they don't understand the importance of the data that they're inputting or how it affects their colleagues, you know, because it's their colleagues that have to pick up the slack. Yeah, this is definitely extremely valuable what you're doing for businesses. And how did you end up where you are? Like, what was your journey so far? It's been a bit a bit wild. Um, so I graduated university with a degree in commerce. Um, didn't really know what career path I wanted to take. So I went into merchandising. So I went used to go to retail stores and merchandise paint to make sure it was to the planogram and train train some staff up in the paint. And um, then I moved on to a little bit of recruitment and then fell into telesales and then sales. Um, and then I got into account management. So I spent a good nearly a decade doing FMCG blue chip work within companies. 
Uh, and then I realised that I wasn't very happy doing that. So I decided to open a women's clothes shop where I live and set up the shop myself, signed the lease, bought every single piece of furniture and clothing and equipment for the shop. Um, was there for about eight months and then it was just so expensive, I couldn't sustain it. So I desperately needed a new job, um, just anything, and saw an ad online for some data classification work. And, and that's where, where it all started. And, and I went to work for that spend analytics company for yeah five years and then decided that um, there was an opportunity. So And I didn't know where else I could do the job that I was doing because I hadn't come from an, an IT or data background or a procurement background. So I didn't know where I could get a job doing the same thing. You know, I'm not an analyst. So I thought, well, I'll just set up my own company and do it myself instead. That's such a great example of taking initiative also. You know, like it's not like you have a background in data, but all of a sudden this is something that you like. This is something that you want to work on. And yeah, you just start your own company. I think that's really admirable. Uh, or stubborn is also <laughs> the... Um, but, but I mean, I had massive, massive imposter syndrome at the start because I knew that I was good at what I did, but didn't really have the credentials to back it up. So for the last three and a half years, which is how long I've had the business, you know, I've been establishing myself as an expert in my area. And along the way, I've picked up data scientists, the data world, analysts, um, and the procurement people who... who I was targeting initially so um you know it's been it's been really great you know and, and now I do really feel confident in my knowledge but you know it definitely wasn't like that at the start yeah I can imagine but I feel like imposter syndrome is something everyone has even if they're like the, the best in their area especially yeah. women I feel like. oh definitely but I mean you know you could just have imposter syndrome being a housewife you know it doesn't even have to be you know, having a business. It could be anything. Yeah, exactly. I think the the key is, at least that's what I feel in the last years that I've also been trying to kind of see myself from a different mirror. I'm like, I'm a capable and competent person, you know? It's just to, just to work through it and just recognize that everyone feels this and uh, see how you can improve yourself from where you are. It's the best all, all of us can do. I think self-belief is the first bit. So not necessarily... Um belief that other people will believe you or or respect you but just just self-belief that what you are doing you are the best at or you're good you're good at nice and um have you gotten any qualifications other than the, the first job that you got as in uh, in, in data but you know did you get any like online courses and stuff no not at all no I've got Nothing. Um, I did try and do a Python course a few years ago, um, but it was um, you just had to read the screen and follow the instructions. And I don't learn very well like that. I'm much better watching people and then doing it. So uh, I gave up on that. And I, I guess I just feel like I've not had much time since then, really, to, to do anything else. Um, but yeah, I think I still would like to, to learn to code one day, not, not because I want to do it as part of my job. I just think it'd be a really interesting thing to learn. Um, another thing is I would say, you know, 
know what you are good at and let other people do the rest. So, you know, analytics, there are far better people who can visualize charts out there than I can. So, you know, let them do that. I will stick to my little corner of classification. I think sometimes when people start businesses or start new careers, they try to go too broad and try to be be everything to everyone. And I I know I certainly tried to do that. Um, But if you focus in on one specific area that you know you can do, then it works well. Yeah, that's such a good point because I've been seeing so many articles online or so many people trying to be the best data scientist who can visualize things the best at the same time knows how to deploy models, knows DevOps, and can also create a beautiful interface for their models. I'm like, that just doesn't sound realistic to me at all. It's a unicorn, yeah. (laughs) No, because, I mean, it's probably even you're you're using different parts of the brain and not generally you're either thinking on the left or the right-hand side, you're not both, so... Yeah, it's, it's near impossible to find someone that could do all of that. Yeah. yeah. And the sad thing is I've seen a lot of aspiring data scientists kind of burn out or they they never feel like they're enough because, you know, they still don't have that like last skill that they see online. Whereas even though they're actually very good at what they do and they have a lot of knowledge and skills, they still feel like they're not enough. But most of the time they're even too much, you know. So it's kind of sad to see. It is, but I would also say... Um, you know, just apply for those jobs anyway. Definitely. Um, I know I know. I certainly did that um, when I was younger. I, I didn't necessarily have all the, the qualifications or skills, but it certainly got me to interview stage. And that in itself was really good experience. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Why did you choose to work with data? I mean, okay, you took a job working with data and then you decided to go forward with it. But was there something special that connect, connected you to working with data? I think it found me. Um, I, I, you know, I re- if my business hadn't failed the first time, then I, I wouldn't be doing this now. And, you know, I found that I just picked it up straight away. Just, just the specific one thing of classifying data, I, I could just do it really well. And I think because I had worked in a business and I understood what businesses were spending money on, that really helped. Um, so I saw it from a different perspective. Um, and and for the first time in my life, I was doing something that I really enjoyed. It didn't feel like work. And that was that was like, wow, this is amazing. I get to do this and get paid. Yeah, that's great to feel, but feel like that for something. I don't think that happens a lot. No, it took me until my what mid thirties to to find that. So it doesn't it doesn't always come at the start of your career it can come a lot later than that for some other people um so yeah just have faith that everything you're doing now will lead to something better in the future if you're not happy right now all the skills that you get along the way somehow you end up using them right i have such a random mix of skills and experience that it's been perfect (laughs) for everything that i'm doing now you know i've worked a little bit in marketing i've done selling um i have worked in retail I've set up a business you know I've done so many different bits that it's just all come together suddenly I don't know where it'll take me next you know who knows where my journey will go yeah yeah exactly and that kind of actually brings me to my next question do you have any plans for your business in the coming years where would you like to go 
yeah, so so I would like to grow. Um, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting quite busy now and, and really I need a team to help me with the work and actually I, I should just be more overseeing the work than doing all of it. Um, now I'm a bit of a control freak so it's very hard for me to relinquish control um, but I am learning to slowly outsource different tasks and um, try and uh, they always say work on the business not in the business so I'm trying to kind of take time to get have a bit of a step back and and work on the business and have other people do some of the work um, also you know, longer term, you know, maybe in about 10 years time, it would be nice to sell the business if it's, you know, still successful. And then I could leave a legacy of, of clean, cleaner data and make people aware of it. And um, I'm currently writing a book, which is due out towards the later half of next year. So again, you know, hopefully that will get people thinking about you know how they look at their data how they view it and the importance of clean data so you kind of want to be like an ambassador in that sense for clean data yeah yeah nice i think that's a really good vision obviously lots of money would be nice but that's not my driving motivation um you know i really genuinely started this business because i didn't know where i could get a job doing what i wanted to do and i just wanted to pay the bills and and that's still the case. Yes, it's growing and, you know, I get to buy nicer things now, but I, I you know, I don't want to be super, super successful millionaire type person. I'm quite happy just living comfortably and, and getting to spread the word about clean data. Yeah, that, I think that's a very, very nice uh, goal to have. And having fun. Yeah, I definitely empathize with that too. Because, yeah, I also don't have, you know idea or like dreams about being a millionaire living in like a penthouse in New York or something like that yeah yeah and also it doesn't make you any less ambitious yeah because of that you know I I genuinely love what I do and that's what drives me mm-hmm. um obviously you have to pay the bills which is also motivation but it's not my only motivation yeah yeah and I feel like also the challenges that having your own business brings together is so fulfilling at the same time yeah it's just so many things to think about, so many things you need to focus on at the same time. But it's it's such a great personal growth opportunity too. Definitely. And um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some or like some examples of projects that you've done with your business so far? Yeah. So the thing I love most about my work is that my projects are so varied. So um, earlier this year, I worked for a client in Germany and. They had a head office with about four or 500 hubs around the country and they were all buying products in and every single hub was creating a SKU number for their products. So say it was a tin of Mm Coca-Cola. Every single hub would have its own code for that Coca-Cola rather than using a master list. So I went through um, 30-odd thousand um, SKUs, codes, products, and grouped them and tried to give them a standard code. So I think I got it down to about 24,000. So, um, and, you know, some of the descriptions were awful. It just said Coke or Coca-Cola. There was no sizing. There was no anything like that. It was um, It was crazy. Yeah. But, you know... 
for them, it was great because suddenly they could see just by me grouping the products together, not necessarily with a code, but just what they were, they could see that certain hubs were buying things from suppliers at a higher price than the preferred supplier. So they could then go in, you know, make sure that they were buying from the right place and saving money. And then COVID hit, unfortunately, so it hit them really badly. Um, another client, um, I am just finishing off a project. It started with 2.3 million rows of data. We're up to about 3.4 million rows of data now. Um, and they didn't really have any classification that was of any use on that data. So I normalized the suppliers from about 43,000 down to 34,000. So imagine that, nearly 10,000 suppliers on like duplicates of the same name. And then um, I've been through and built them a taxonomy and I'm classifying all that information and they're suddenly getting all this visibility that they've never had before. So they, they're really happy. Um, and then, you know, um, I think I worked for a retailer last year and they had a lot of returns coming back for their clothing. So, um, and there was free text answers as, as to why the products were being returned. So I grouped the products into product type. Then I classified the return reason uh, and categorized it into kind of like too big, too small, doesn't suit me, da 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 da. And then suddenly they could see, um, you know, that there was reasons within particular product groups that they could do something about. So um, one of their products, um, people kept returning it because it was too big. So just by putting something like a message on their website to say this is actually quite large, they could save lots of money by having to collect the product and then possibly send out another one. So there's loads of, loads of different ways that you can categorise data to, to get what, what you need from it. I feel like also the work that you described just now is super creative because you have some sort of a problem that they hand out to you. They give you the data and then you have to come up with a solution yourself. Yeah, oh, I am the problem solver. Um, all my clients who come to me are already way into the problem and are desperate for some help. And, and think they think they all think they have the worst data and normally they don't there's always one that does have really bad data but normally I can say look actually this isn't as bad as you think even though they think it's the worst thing in the world so you can kind of reassure them and tell them that you can fix it no this is really this is really fun work it's also like one of my favorite things to do is uh, like you're doing you know just tidy up the data and then make sure that it's in a, in a way that you can actually use and get insta- insights from it. And it's just such a fun thing to do. It's, it's therapeutic. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I love the order and the tidiness of it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great job for uh, a control freaks. <laughs> uh, yeah, control freaks and, and OCD, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, how does your normal weekday look like then while you're doing this is all your work just working with data or do you have some other sort of tasks that take your time oh oh my goodness so my weeks don't have any kind of structure at all (laughs) um 
I I charge a project fee for my clients, so I don't have to sit in time every single minute. So, mm-hmm. you know, I will do 5, 10, 20 minutes or maybe an hour and a half on one thing, and then I'll be on LinkedIn for a little bit. Then I'll be creating some new posts or making some new videos. I might be speaking at an event. I might be doing a podcast. I might be doing more work. I might be have client meetings. I have lots of those as well. Um, networking events I still try and go to to some of those too um, so it's pretty crazy but I love the variety in it it's so good I get bored very easily so this keeps me keeps me occupied yeah that's nice so it also sounds like a lot of your work is sort of people facing too yeah I spend a lot of time on zoom actually a lot more than I did before lockdown I'm sure you also need to kind of Make sure you communicate to your clients what you're doing. Make them understand that this solution is going to work rather than a different solution or like, you know, why you're doing the things that you're doing. Yeah. Um, And also, I think I'll I'll be realistic about what I can achieve and in how long. And I'll always keep them informed along the way, whether I think it's going to work out, whether we're going to deliver on time. And you know what? Automation software is wonderful technology is great but sometimes you just need the good old-fashioned do it by hand and that's me you know there's you know I I, there's you know all my clients could easily do what I do in-house or themselves but it would take them months and months if not years to do a lot of what I do so I'm the easy option. Just make life easier for them. And it's also not, not only the doing itself, right? It's also the decision. You are informed about this. You know about the data and how to deal with it. So at the end, it will probably take them much longer to come to the same conclusion as you saying, okay, this is what we need to do. Definitely. And I think because I have seen a number of different data sets across a number of different clients and industries, there are some things that, that are the same no matter what, what data set you look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's it's like when I said that they thought they had the worst data set, they might think we're the only people in the world that have this. And it's like, no, I see this in every data set. People can't spell regardless of where they come from, what level of seniority they have um, or, or, or the amount of education. There's all you, People still can't spell. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like a universal rule. And uh, what, what tools do you use for this work? So I have some software called Omniscope. It's data modeling and visualization software. Um, and it's the only one I know of that where I can model the data and edit it in the same view. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of in the visualization part, I do my classification and have my own um, system that I've developed to classify efficiently. Then if the client wants their data refreshed, so maybe in a month or a quarter's time, I can take the data that I've already classified and model that with the new data and map over anything that matches. So so then a, a large chunk of the work is done without actually having to do anything. Mm-hmm. So it just semi-automates the process. Um, but, you know, I'd still always, always check it just to make sure. Yeah. And what about the soft skills? What what do you think someone, what kind of soft skills do you think someone would need to do what you're doing right now? Again, I'm in that really kind of fortunate position that I am somewhere in the middle of the data world and the business world. 
kind of straddle both. Um, I think it's really important to understand that the business doesn't understand tech language. You have to really talk to them in the most simplistic terms that they can relate to. Um, don't make it intimidating. Um, and and again, you know, um, you know, I have worked with some tech people that you just wouldn't let them near the clients because it it just wouldn't wouldn't end well so yeah um you know but not you know it's it's knowing where your skills and your strengths are and if you know that you're not a people person get someone else to do that bit and of all the things that we talked about so far what, what is the most exciting thing for you about your job um it's the unpredictability I mean, I just, I never know where my next piece of work is coming from, what it's going to be. Is it going to be a big one or is it going to be something smaller? Um, You know, I could not have imagined how much things would have changed for me this year. When I started the year, um, I had a terrible year last year. My Last year was my COVID year. I, I had about one, two, three, four at least five months of the year where there was virtually no work at all and and I sat in March February March this year and said to my friend I don't know how much longer I can keep going and uh, this is really tough Um, I had set myself some goals to get some speaking events and also um get some podcasts but it was it was like I think it was one speaking event or two speaking events and one podcast or something like that um and and now I have done over ten podcasts. I've probably done over ten speaking events. Um, I'm writing a book, which is just crazy. <laughs> um, I don't even like reading, um, but I'm writing a book. Um, you know, I I I there. I mean, you know, I sat with someone, did an interview in March, and said, "Oh, one day I'd like to write a book, and like I'd like to have a team." And all that happened this year. And that's just crazy because it felt so unbelievably impossible at the start of the year. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you have ups and downs in life. And when you're in the downs, you don't really realize that things can actually get better. And once they get better, you're like, huh. I always believed that what I was doing um, had legs and that it was a good business. Um, But... I was just waiting for that opportunity and it just it felt like it was never coming and you just have to ha- keep faith. It's like, it doesn't matter whether it's um, a business or whether you're looking for a job, you just have to have faith that there's something better and there's something coming around the corner and you might not know when that is or how long it will be, but you have to just keep having faith that it's going to happen. Yeah, I also found that it's a lot about persistence. You really have to, if you, if you think that you found something that you're really happy doing, you just have to keep at it for a while because really nothing happens in a matter of months. Sometimes you need to work on something for years before you see some real value coming out of it. Yeah, so everyone keeps saying, oh, you've done so well this year. And it's like, yeah, but this has been years of years of like making content and you know, just just being consistent and showing up every day or showing up more every week, doing more things and more things and more things. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. <laughs> oh, absolutely.
It's also the freedom is so awesome, right? Having your own business. You don't answer oh, to anyone. <laughs> oh, I mean, this, the things I can do with my content that would not get past a marketing or, or legal department in a business. Yeah, I can, I can just have so much fun and there's nobody to tell me I can't do anything. Yeah, I'll uh, make sure to leave a link uh, in the show notes for uh, the Classification Guru YouTube channel. It's just the most fun videos. <laughs> well, the the lip syncs are on there too. That's all, That's not even anything really to do with data, but people seem to enjoy that as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> And also for the for our audience who is maybe interested in uh, setting up their business similar to you, how do you get projects? Do clients reach out to you or do you seek out and find them? So in the beginning, I did try to go and find them. But because I have such a specialist niche skill, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. It's It's really hard. So... By exhibiting events, networking, and then doing everything that I do on LinkedIn. Now my clients find me generally via LinkedIn. And by the time they come to me, they're they're like, we know you can help us. How much is it going to cost? That's, that's pretty much um, where I've got to, which is just amazing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, you're doing a lot of content marketing, right? To uh, show to people what you can do. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah, but the problem is you start it and then people enjoy it. So you make more and then they enjoy that. So the end you make more <laughs> and then you have to keep going. But I, I mean, I do, I really do enjoy it. So yeah, it looks like you do. <laughs> and uh, what about the most boring part of your job? Oh, paperwork and admin, financial stuff, invoices, and I'm terrible at financial stuff. So which is crazy considering I help people save money for a living. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so good at, at that, but I'm, I'm not, I'm like really organized when it comes to other people's data, but in my own life, it's a bit chaotic. Can't be good at anything though, you know, have to channel all my energy into being good at data. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you can also get help anytime you want for financial or admin issues. Yeah, again, it's letting go. I have to let go. And how is it being a woman in this area? Have you encountered any bias? Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I exhibited um, a couple of years ago and I had my stand. And I mean, all the companies that were there, all this, either the owners or the senior managers were all male. The only really females that were there were marketing ladies. So I'm on my stand and this happened twice in one day um, with two different people. Um, older gentleman walked by and said, "Oh, you're on your own." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Oh, is this your business? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Good for you." And he's like, "Thank you." And um, um, I've I've worked with a lot of guys before, and I do feel like there's a different atmosphere when I'm around, um, or I, when I was, um. But it's certainly, you know, I don't know. They just were more polite, I guess. Um, even if I was swearing away and doing this and that and the next thing. And, um, you know, you can't, you just have to get on and do your own thing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's not stopped me in any way. But again, I think that's the stubbornness in me as well. Mm-hmm. But I have worked in 
corporates in in my younger years where where I definitely couldn't go any further because I was a woman. Seriously. But then, yeah, 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 you know, all the guys would go and play golf or football together and then they'd get promoted. Um and and then it was a competition amongst the females as to who would get the the token job. Um I've had I've had female bosses who were not supportive at all. Um so but but in that instance, you know, I left. I think you you have to realize that you know you one sometimes one person can't change a whole culture. So 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 yeah, I left and did something else instead. But you know, that was the best thing for me to do cuz I ended up in the shop and then now I'm here. So so yeah, it's just so great that you uh found your way to your own business. And yeah, as you said, sometimes it takes a couple of businesses to find just the right one for yourself. Yeah, and again, it's that self-belief thing. So I don't really care um, whether it's a, a male or a female that might not think what I have to say is of interest or of use. Um, in fact, actually, I'm really lucky that I, I have virtually no trolls. And I know by saying that, I'm just inviting trouble. But... Um, I'm pretty non-offensive. Um, even though I do have like strong opinions on things, I, d- I don't particularly offend anyone. Um, I'm just me, and uh, you know you can't really argue with that if you're just yourself. I'm not trying to hide anything. Yeah, and it's also I feel like it, it makes it easier to uh, when you're just yourself. It makes it easier to deal with negativity too. You're not trying to be something else, so you could just brush it off as like, well, this is me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I went on a LinkedIn live and there was a guy that trolled me while I was live and I, I went back and saw the comment afterwards. So I took a screen grab and then I made a post about it and I shamed him to my whole network and got him banned from LinkedIn. And, um, you know, it wasn't a particularly nice comment um, about me but I wasn't embarrassed to share it because there's lots of women who probably get comments like that or similar that would be too embarrassed to share. So I thought, no, I'm going to gonna teach him a lesson. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's the biggest strength that we have, right? To just not be ashamed by yeah. being trolled <laughs> because we didn't do anything oh, wrong. I, I, I have fun with them. I like, <laughs> I like to troll the trolls. So <laughs> Nice. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to get into a data career? Yeah, just get experience anywhere you can. So, um, you know, obviously start by reading, YouTubing, learn however you find you learn best. And then try and get experience. And it might be, you know, maybe do some test data sets that you can find online or go on these freelancer websites and take these projects that, that pay you absolute peanuts but get the experience and then you've got something that you can say you've done that's a tangible thing and and find what you like you know what if you think you want to be a data scientist and then get started and realize you don't want to be that you want to be a data analyst or something completely different you know just try things out see see what you know and and don't just be a data scientist specialize in something that you like you know there wasn't a spend data classification job really I just kind of made one 
Yeah, sometimes you just create your own paths in life. And it, yeah, what you, what you said is really good advice. I also try to uh, mention it anytime I can. Sometimes you just need to start trying things before you can really know if that's for you or not. Because there, there are so many little things in a job that might make you hate it. That, you know, that romantic uh, view of data science or in general data careers that they're painting online is most of the time is just like the, the 1% of people are having that much fun. Yeah. And the biggest thing I hear is that um, all these highly skilled people come out of university and get landed with their first real life data set and they don't know how to deal with it because they've been in kind of test conditions. So try and go on the web and try and find some real life dirty data and fix it. And you generally have to work at things for them to become good. So, you know, I'm in a great place today, but, you know, that's taken three years of hard work and not being able to pay lots of bills and stuff. And it's very unlikely that you would be able to just walk out of being recently qualified or 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 self-qualified or you know self-taught and just walk into a dream job it, it doesn't work like that you have to yeah well it's like they say you have to kiss a few frogs before you find your prince and it's the same with jobs you know sometimes you have to do some really awful jobs to get to where you be yeah, I totally agree with this so, yeah it's, it's it's very unrealistic to expect that your first job will be your dream job or, you know, first job in, in a different career. Even that you like yeah. it, yeah. So, and it, it's, it's somehow it's also better, I feel like, because you then know what you don't like, what you don't want to do. And that, that really decreases the number of options you have for your future. But, you know, it's so much easier to change jobs now than it was when I was graduated, which was nearly 20 years ago. You know, there was still a bit of a job for life kind of expectation from your your parents at that point you know you choose your career and you stick to it for life and so if you moved to jobs within two or three years that was considered really bad whereas now two or three years is like the how long people stay in jobs you know if you stay any longer than that there's you think something's wrong with you <laughs> so you know this is the best time to um to try things because I spent a lot of time having to justify all the different jobs I had when I was younger. No, that's that's a really good point. Definitely right now I feel like people are no one really assumes things about you if you change jobs quickly. No, not at all. Because I just understand that they're look you're looking for something that's better for you. And I think now people also respect you for being able to change jobs when it's time and not really pushing yourself unnecessarily to stay in the same career. People, I think people are given much more of a chance and an opportunity now than they ever were before. Well, Susan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for taking the time to be here. It was an awesome conversation thanks with you. Thanks for having me. And I'm really happy to have met you. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks very much. Hey, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to take my free data science Kickstarter course to learn what it takes to become a data scientist. See you next time.